0: This is the sermon podcast of St. John's Episcopal Church in Brooklyn, New York. They're primarily by me, the Reverend Ben DeHart, but you'll hear from some of my good friends as well. We at St. John's exist to proclaim the good news of the gospel, so if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you join us in person. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m., and our beautiful church, located in Park Slope, is easy to get to from all over the city. We hope you'll stop by soon. And now, the sermon. Many of us in this room absolutely love Martin Luther. Maybe you have a passage or even a sentence that has spoken to you throughout the years. I've had many that have pierced me, but the one that I am obsessed with right now is just a sentence. It goes like this. Though every man be a liar, Christ is no liar. Though everyone
1: be a liar,
0: God is no liar. Why do I open with that? I open with that because I want you to take a look at the first two temptations of Jesus in our gospel lesson. This lesson is so meaty. You're not supposed to have favorites. Everyone is supposed to be of equal value. This is one of my favorites. Sorry. At the beginning of the two temptations, and it's implicit in the third, the devil says, If you are the son of man, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of man, throw yourself down, for it is written dot, dot, dot. Right before this episode was the baptism of Jesus. At the baptism of Jesus, God's voice says over Jesus, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. At the baptism of Jesus, God declares that Jesus is the son of God. And right after that episode is this, Jesus is driven into the wilderness, and Satan immediately questions his identity. If you are the son of man, son of God, I keep saying son of man, if you are the son of God, dot, 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 his temptations are, in a word, trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity, to doubt his vocation. This is why we hear later on, which we heard last week in the transfiguration, Jesus is transfigured and immediately after, Peter is like, this is amazing. And then Jesus goes and tells him, I, well, I'm the one who's come to suffer and die and be raised in the third day. And I guess Peter didn't make it to the raised in the third day part. But he says, by no means. That is not what the Messiah does. And that is when Jesus calls his best friend, Satan. And the reason he calls his best friend Satan is because Peter unwittingly gives offers Jesus another temptation to doubt his vocation, to doubt his identity. Satan here is the liar. Now, let's take a step back. A couple weeks ago, it was Christmas, and a bunch of us said from this pulpit, that the incarnation is not this cute thing that we celebrate every year. Sure, when the kids show us the story, that's cute. But let's not use that as an evasion of what's really happening here. At the incarnation, the God's invasion of the cosmos begins. It is brought into play. And here in the wilderness, we see Jesus and the devil with hand-to-hand combat Much like at his birth, it's different than what we'd expect. We'd expect God to be born to an emperor's son so that he can change the world. Only, we know the story, he gets birth to sketchy people on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. Here, too, the combat does not look like we would have it. The combat looks like Satan tempting Jesus. It looks like Satan tempting Adam. It looks like Satan tempting the people of God in the wilderness. Tertullian, a church father way back in the second century said this, Jesus's temptations are a recapitulation of the experience of Israel. He relives the experience of the people of God in the wilderness, and where they failed, he won. I mean, take a close look at this. The first temptation, turning the the stone into bread, it's echoing Israel's grumbling after food in the wilderness. The second temptation is the rebuke for the people of Israel putting the Lord their God to the test in the wilderness. And the third, and for Matthew, the ultimate temptation, it echoes the people of God's worship of the golden calf. Do you see what's happening here? It's a microcosm of the gospel. It's really good news. Jesus on our behalf and in our place, has done what we failed to do, what the people of God of the First Testament failed to do, what you and I so often fail to do each and every day. He's done it on our behalf and in our place. He has waged combat with the devil and this battle he has won. And it's for you. It's for me. It's too good to be true. It's, it's an image of his ultimate victory, of winning the war at the cross. But here we have it in microcosm. Satan and Jesus waging battle. And Satan is no match. He is no match for the God-man who experiences the same trials, the same hunger and temptations that you and I and the people of God have experienced, and He has been faithful. Unlike the first Adam, the second Adam resists the tempter, resists the accuser, and because of God's work in Jesus Christ, the, the voice, that says over jesus you are my son with you i am well pleased because we have been grafted into jesus we have been united with him those same words are over you and me and isn't it amazing when we baptize infants we are saying you have brought nothing good no no good works into the world in fact i mean maybe you could make the argument they Brought a lot of sin. I mean, Augustine talks about his selfishness as a baby. I don't want to go too far with that. But you've you've got nothing to offer. And yet, that is when those words are over us because of what Jesus has done. You are my well-beloved child. With you, I am well-pleased. And what we're doing here in Lent, the whole purpose of Lent is much more so than remembering our mortality. Which Lent does that. It's much more than repenting of our sins, which we need to do, right? The good news of the gospel includes the fact that there will be a day when we stop returning to the vomit that we go back to time and time again, the sin which is so toxic for us, but for whatever reason we can't get enough of. There will be a day when we don't go back to it, and that is good news. But much more than all of that is that this, during these 40 days, when the devil tempts you and says, if you are a child of God, dot, 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 I hope that we, like Christ, can resist, because that would be good for us. But when we don't, do not believe his lies. Do not question your new identity in Christ as beloved for Satan is a liar he has lost this battle, lost this war long ago and there is nothing you and I can do to undo his victory to cast off his love my friends Jesus has recapitulated the experience of the people of God not just for the people under Moses, but for you and me. And one final thought, and I'll end with this. Other church fathers really lean into the fact that Jesus is the new Adam who recapitulates or relives the experience of Adam and wins. And what they say is his experience is the exact opposite of Adam's. Adam is in the garden with the wild beasts, and he's friends with them. He experiences the temptation. He falls and is driven out into the wilderness. Only here in our text today, Jesus starts from the reverse. He's in the wilderness. He's experienced the fall. He is tempted by the devil, and especially in Luke's account, it emphasizes that he is with the wild beasts and it's as if we see an image of the garden restored. My friends, it's too good to be true. You and I are sons and daughters of God in Christ. And though we doubt our identities as such, though everyone be a liar, we can lean our whole weight into the truth that Christ is no liar. Thanks be to God.